And welcome back, folks, to another episode of Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. Uh, this is the first episode after a couple weeks off and uh, the first episode within the, the Halloween season. So making this a little bit extra spooky. It's kind of hard to, in a way, this show by its nature. It's almost like an all day or all year Halloween fest. <laughs> um, um, you know, we sometimes do some very positive things on this show, and I always try to analyze even the negative for positive intentions but um yeah we're gonna we're gonna get a little extra creepy on this show uh the last uh guest we had on was my friend ap strange he is an, a 14 investigator and researcher um and i have another guy that i would describe very different people um but uh in their own ways but very much in that same 14 vein and that's why i like them both so much um, I have Mr. Bob Antone LaVey here with me. <laughs> no, no, just joking. Just a little Halloween pun in there. Um, I think that would count as a pun, right? I don't know. At least a dumb dad joke. But Bob Antone's here with me. And um, Bob, you are uh, seriously um, a very talented artist in general. I see you do all sorts of different. It's wood sculpting, right? And yeah, you have uh, you're a very talented musician. Uh, you're very well written you know you're a great writer you're a good speaker um so yeah bob um if if you would before we get into the thick of it a little bit um tell the listeners just a a little bit about yourself and what you've done and uh where they can find some of your work and so forth all right thanks so much for having me today yeah um so my wife and i live in north bend washington we're about 30 miles east of seattle a lot of folks know this location as the real Twin Peaks. Um, these are the filming locations for the TV series and the film Firewalk With Me. Um, we are in the foothills of the Cascades, and I grew up with uncles and aunts and grandparents that filled my head with stories and legends and folklore. And I've lived in this area my entire life. Um, our family history goes back to the 1800s in old Seattle. As you see this area grow, new houses are being built, you know, commercial spaces. You have businesses coming in, developers coming in. We're very, very passionate about keeping alive what we can. There's so much magic uh, and mystery in the woods around here. The natural environment carries an intelligence that is ancient, that is beautiful. And we feel very protective uh, over that. And we feel that we need to educate people on preservation. Um, you can find us on social media. I mean, if you want to reach out, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And we have a Patreon page. You just Google Bob and Laura Antone uh, or Bob Antone or Laura Antone. And we have Hidden Northwest Tours, which is also on Facebook, but we have a Patreon, uh, Hidden Northwest Tours. So that's my grand introduction. How did I do? I like it, man. See, and and you brought up some things that um, I'm 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 glad were brought to the table because you're a very grassroots individual, Bob, and uh, I that's one of the reasons I appreciate you so much is you don't just talk about um, philosophy and uh, outlandish folklore. Um, you're about the community and the people and the environment that you live in and about preserving 
the the culture and traditions and the environment itself. And, you know, I think that <clears throat> that is what's lost so often in these kinds of conversations. So um, your, your insight, I think, is going to be, um, I think the listeners are really going to dig it. Uh, but firstly, Bob, so let me ask you a couple of questions and then I want to get into, I want to do kind of a free for all. Cause I know you're a man with many stories and I'd like to hear some of them, especially uh, uh, the creepiest you got at the moment. But so w- when it comes to Fortean unexplainable phenomena, uh, there's different camps and there's more physicalized camps. There's more metaphysical, you know, I me. Mean, we've had some of these conversations before and, and I know where you sit fairly well, but especially for the listeners out there, uh, would you like to explain uh, just your your perspective on it all? Yes, absolutely. Well, no matter where you are on this planet, we all walk in the same plane of existence. We deal with the same physics, the same reality. We breathe the same air. We all, you know, have the same blood in our veins, pretty much. We all deal with the same reality. So naturally, all over the earth, you have... Um, various methods or um, ways to interact with the sublime or the supernatural. Other religions, you know, many religions have different names for the same things. And so one of, one of my favorite activities, my wife and I love to connect the dots between different cultures and find, say, uh, you know, a dwarf in one religion or culture that has the same attributes that you find across the ocean. Um, Maybe finding similarities between, you know, Thunderbird and say a dragon in China and finding out that, wow, all of these things have so many similarities and they're almost the same thing with just different names. So I believe that all of us interact with miracles every day. The supernatural is all around us. Some people take it for granted. Uh, some people don't believe in anything, but I say, how can you not? I mean, the miracle mm-hmm. of life is everywhere. So the passion uh, that we have is really connecting and showing everyone how related we all are. Because right now we live in a very divisive time um, politically where people feel that they have to stay in their camp over here. Oh, my God. Obviously, we have fences for a reason. We have things to protect ourselves from harm. But there's also a beauty in collaboration between cultures and people. And I think right now we're it's too divisive. It's Mm -hmm. gotten to the point where we're just unhealthy. You know, it's just unhealthy. We're very hateful for for, you know, and it's like we've gone backwards, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my take on the supernatural. And that's kind of my thoughts as of late. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, very mystical um, after my own heart. I, uh, I very much agree. And um, now, Bob, when it comes to what you would call something like, because I know, especially involving folklore and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. you have your own tastes in this field. Uh, but mm-hmm. a cryptozoology specifically, um, what do you think about all that? Because we've had conversations uh, about Bigfoot and other things. And I would really love to hear a little bit of your take on uh, some of the traditional folklore that you understand and uh, Mm -hmm. some of the light Mm -hmm. that sheds on cryptozoology. So when I, when you're talking about Bigfoot in particular, I always like to go back to the first nations or native people. That's to me, that's the authority on that subject. 
um, in this area. I always like to honor that just because that's where we're living. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that those cultures have the most connection and the most, um, you know, they have the most knowledge about that. You know, I think that people that are in the non-native community that are approaching Bigfoot as if it's a missing link or, you know, it's uh, some kind of gorilla hybrid human thing. Um, they're not quite, in my opinion, they're not seeing the spiritual side and the aspects, the spiritual aspects uh, of Sasquatch or Sasquets are actually uh, more, to me, more accurate. And I believe it's a spiritual being rather than a completely physical being. I think it's a, a spiritual being. And that falls in line with a lot of the traditional beliefs in this area. So um, I'm fine with people out there, you know, looking for scientific evidence. We hang out with uh, folks all the time. Um, we just went out to Taylor River with a mother and son Bigfoot hunting team. Pretty neat. Found some tracks. Very cool. We can talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people you have to you have to discern between, you know, obviously this is the most obvious thing I'm about to say. You have to discern between folks that are really profiting off of, you know, Bigfoot as a livelihood and those that are really serious researchers. There definitely is a distinction between the two. And again, I'm not putting anyone down who makes a living off of it, but you just have to be very careful with when you receive the information and just where it's coming from and that kind of thing. So absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I think that hits the nail on the head with my opinions on a lot of these things. It's uh, in, in many ways, it's just simply a matter of preference, what types of uh, vernacular you use to describe it. Um, and I think that there's something very archetypal uh, and definitely something uh, that is spiritual about the present. It's a, he's, mm -hmm. it's meant to be sort of like the, the, the gatekeeper of the wilderness and not in like maybe gatekeeper is harsh, but like the protector, like the spirit of the wilderness. And yeah, yeah I think uh, it doesn't um, that it should, it makes a lot of sense to me because we've had, I've, I've, I've spent many episodes at this point um, trying to uh, set and explain how we don't have all the answers, but there's so many, you, even if you want to look at empirical documented cases, there's so many cases of uh, whether it be poltergeists or UFOs or Bigfoot, even um, where sometimes policemen are involved and there's all sorts mm -hmm. of eyewitnesses and there's, there's footprints and yeah. we have no, we still have no physical proof of any of these things at all. And so we can't really say where they're coming from and, if anything, it almost makes more sense that they aren't coming from anywhere mm -hmm. uh, among other things. And if you're a listener, that's, um, <laughs> that's really tripped out already. You should just probably go uh, and check out some of those back episodes. Cause we have done a lot of legwork here, but um, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, just the more you look throughout anthropology and the, the historical precedent for all this folklore um, it, and, and, and you see how cryptozoology is an outpour of folklore it only makes sense to me, but, um, Bob, you've got so many stories. You've told me about, um, some of, um, similar to the missing 411. You've talked about disappearances in your area and you've talked about hauntings to me and uh, you've got some fascinating stories. So honestly, I just, now that we've set the stage on who you are and 
where you uh how you think about things i'd like to just kind of let you run and um and um just kind of chip in where i have uh <laughs> well you know where i can yeah it sounds great so this is a this is something that happened to my wife and i a few months ago um i guess you could say several months ago it was the very first day of summer uh actually no it was the very first day of spring excuse me apologize in march and my father had just passed away uh prior to that and he died on march 10th and so this was a few weeks later and we woke up at 12:03 a.m. in our bedroom and i was absolutely shocked because at the foot of the bed i saw these laser light uh beams of light crossing the bedroom and my wife woke up at the same time she saw the exact same thing and i was like my first thought was that we had someone who had broken into the house and my i was just about to get up and i was ready for a fight i thought i was going to fight somebody i thought I thought somebody was in the house, you know, and she goes, shh, and she patted on my chest. She goes, shh, calm down. And we just sat there for a couple minutes. And what we observed at the foot of the bed coming through the window, but the window was closed at the time. The drape was closed. And it was so strange that this beam of light was coming through and the curtain below it, this curtain of red light, right about knee level was pulsating almost like the Northern Lights. And I know you're from Alaska and you've mm -hmm. seen the Northern Lights. Mm -hmm. So in our bedroom, if you can imagine waking up and seeing this curtain that looked like the Northern Lights pulsating across your legs. Oh God. Now, now I, and I knew it was absolutely real. I knew that I was absolutely wide awake. Okay, now here's the really creepy part. Through the curtain, we could both see these little figures that were about four feet tall somewhere about four feet tall, just little, little dwarf figures. They were all dark, you know, kind of, kind of furry and dark. And they turned and looked and you could take, you know, you could get a glimpse of their eyes kind of shining instead of their teeth shining. So we had these little dwarves like crossing in front of our bed, but kind of coming through and walking through everything on the other side of this barrier. My heart is just pounding. I'm watching this. And my wife is, we're breathing heavy. I mean, we're watching this thing. I mean, this was scary. Yeah. What is it? You know, is, are these extraterrestrials? What, what are these things? You know, that's what we were at. You know, we were thinking about it later. We were just in shock. So as this vision continued, the lights started to pulsate and move to the right. And everything kind of coagulated into this ball of light in the corner and then pew, vanished. Oh, and wow. that was the first day of spring 2022 at 12.03 a.m. So let me ask wow. you, what do you think? What do you think that we woke up and saw? What do you that, think that was? I might, I could answer it maybe, but I want to see what you think. Yeah, you, uh, that's, that's the question I was wondering the whole time. And I, I love how you turn the tables on me. Honestly, I... Well, the first off there, again, there's different vernacular to describe the same kinds of things, but um, certainly seems genuinely spiritual. And, you know, I, my mind comes to the, the, 
the kind of crux of it is what is the difference between something becoming physicalized and something being a quote unquote hallucination. And I think that the mind gives way to, it, it allows for, it, it's the fertile soil that, that uh, something then grows in. So, uh, you know, it's that, I, I don't think it's only from the mind, but I think, you know, you have to be receptive to it. Right. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that whatever it was, it was something there that was outside of you very clearly. And uh, the, the fascinating part is I, I tend to look at these things like dreams, not in the sense that we are dreaming, but in the sense of that they use dream logic to show us, uh, to unveil themselves to us. Mm-hmm. So the way that they express themselves in their image uh, might be different to someone else, but not entirely. They would follow similar you know, archetypal patterns. But I, I think um, there was some unique uh, Bob and Laura-ness potentially in there that was allowing it to manifest, you know? What do you think, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll just kind of tell you our theory about what, what happened. Yeah. Um, so in this particular room, um, previously we had some folks that were selling fruits and vegetables out in front of our house, and they were from the Hmong community, H-M-O-N-G, and during the time they were here, um, you know, they would engage in ceremony and they spoke their language um, very fluently. The religion is still intact. Um, and so what it was explained to us is that that corner of that room was an opening. You could say a portal. I know it sounds cheesy, but in their belief, when they came into our house, um, they said that that a corner of that room was an opening. And so many relatives, my brother, um, my son, our sons, um, so many relatives of ours have had experiences in that room and in that corner, and it would make sense. And it was also said that if I ever chose to become like a traditional person within that religion, uh, their religion, that that corner would be where I would place my altar and if you look up Hmong shamanism, if you look up shamanism, the Hmong shamanism, you see the, the altar, you see, um, you know, the bamboo, um, the string with the bamboo, the, the bridge to the ancestors that's on the ceiling. And so that was really interesting that that was pointed out. And those figures came from that exact corner. So that's one piece of the puzzle. Now, another piece of the puzzle is that my wife, uh, and I spoke to her mother, Shirley, up in Fort Liard, Northwest Territories, Canada. And we told her what happened. We asked her. And she she was like, oh, she kind of, she gasped for a second. She said, I woke up uh, a few nights ago, too. And she said, I saw the Northern Lights right by her window. And it kind of was coming in her window. So a very similar thing happened to my wife, uh, my wife's mother, Um, be my mother-in-law up in Fort Liard, Northwest Territories. So those are two pieces of the puzzle. The other one is my dad just passed away. Um, So I had a few people suggest that he was letting us know that what we have been pursuing and that what we believe in is real. He was sending a message. He was sending like, hey, check it out. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to show you something amazing so that will validate that what you guys are talking about is real. So that was the third 
explanation. But other than that, we are still asking questions and trying to get to the bottom of it. So, but very frightening. That's for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I really feel for you, especially when you mentioned like you weren't sure if you were going to be attacked at for a moment or not. Like you don't know if that's a, just a straight up home intruder or anything for uh, up until, and then w- once you see what it is, it's not exactly assuring. Um, so yes. that is, so let me ask you this, man, because sure. we know each other pretty well. And um, yeah, yeah. I don't I, like, I don't doubt you as a person at all. Mm-hmm. And listeners in general um, are pretty, are very open-minded on this show. So it's not mm-hmm. going to be a matter of um, is Bob full of shit or not, but um, from, <laughs> from a logical perspective, um, what do you think is going on here? And like, and, and why mm-hmm. do you think this is happening to you? You know, as someone being skeptical, but not uh, sure. But yeah, but but certainly not disbelieving. Yeah. So first of all, let me let me clarify too. Um, you know, so what I do for a living is I'm a I'm a full time music teacher. So I teach music for a living, and so the paranormal and the investigation and the the uh, research on history and heritage, that's because we love it and that's it's out of the passion for it. So we don't um, you know make a living off of say you know paranormal tours. We give tours. People ask us to take us around in the woods and show them where, you know, there have been Sasquatch sightings and whatnot. Uh, But we do that for fun. We take people out for education. So what we do for a living is, you know, educating in the field of music. So just clarifying that. So there's really no, you know, huge financial gain. I'm not promoting a new film or anything like that at this time. Um, You know, that kind of thing. So um, the other, yeah. So the other, the other validation is um, because we've opened our home to so many different people and cultures and there's so much history here. That's another example of why this place is kind of an opening because, you know, my great grandmother died here. Both of my grandparents died here. We have so many ancestral spirits hanging around, but also we've had so many native American people that have visited here and there have been ceremonies and languages spoken there's probably been about 50 different languages spoken in this house, and many of them are indigenous languages. We've had people from Cheyenne River. We've had um, relatives of Crazy Horse have been here. Wow. We've literally, you know, Chief Joseph, we've had, um, man, we've had descendants or relatives of Chief Joseph that have lived here and have visited here. You know, so many different tribes. I mentioned the Hmong. Um, we've had so many languages spoken here. So, I believe when you open up yourself and you're, you welcome, you know, you're welcoming, you kind of have this, you know, unconditional love. I'm not saying I'm, you know, completely a perfect person, but when you, when you meditate on that and you say, Hey, all are welcome. And you truly believe that you truly believe that. I think it opens up a spiritual doorway to this kind of phenomenon. I would absolutely agree. Um, And I think there is definitely that 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 sense of uh you have to be receptive in one way or another uh just simply in the you know in the the skeptical point of view just the lack of curiosity itself might might kill the whole thing like you never know what you're seeing you could be seeing little instances little you could even have little synchronicities all the time and if uh you just don't really feel like you have the mental bandwidth to think about that, like, oh, I got to get to this meeting. So, you know, they're just going to brush that aside. Like, then it's easy to be a skeptic. But if you really 
honestly pay attention to these things. Um, he, as someone like Carl Jung being a great example in his whole body of work, the more you pay attention to these things, the more mundane life be, uh, becomes mystical. You know, mm -hmm. it's because it's right under our noses the whole time. Um, and yeah, so now have you ever seen Sasquatch yourself, Bob? Um, I do have uh, three encounters, which I can talk about in brief, but I'll, I'll start with the very first encounter. Um, and this happened in 1988. And so me and two of my friends, we were walking to town along the old Snoqualmie Valley Trail. And we were going to go to the store and, you know, get some like chips and candy. And <laughs> we're going to come back and we're going to watch some movies and that kind of thing. Stay up. It was July-ish, summer of 1988. And we just around the corner from the house here, uh, we were walking down the trail and not maybe 15 feet, 20 feet down the trail. There was this large bulky dark thing to our left it would be to our south to the south of us and i would say that mm, it was maybe 25 feet away from us and all of a sudden from the direction of this big dark object uh looked like the size of maybe a v-dub bug but smaller this this really large bellowing noise came out and it sounded really high but it also sounded really low the thing that was unusual about this scream or this shout or this howl um is it had kind of an electric shock to it i remember when it hit my body the vibration it felt like electricity or i was being shocked or just some sort of unnatural or supernatural uh you know, element to this sound vibration. And all three of us went running back to the house. We just took off, completely freaked out. Now, many years later, we were listening to recordings of folks that have, you know, captured what they claim is Bigfoot or Sasquatch, you know, noises uh, and howling and hooping and hollering. And I was like, yep, that's it right there. And I remember listening to this one recording and I thought, yep, that's what I heard back in 1988. So what was interesting is 1996, just down the road, there was another famous sighting um, very close by, by another person, William Powell and his cousin up Little Psy. And so the whole area, the whole area is uh, known for Sasquatch and Bigfoot sightings, Saskets, is how you say it in the language again. So, yeah, that's the, that was my first uh, encounter in 1988. Wow. Red door, red door, come on through, and I see a blue. Thank you. 
Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dogman Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential. Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Uh, refresh me if I'm wrong, but in the... Uh in the lore, there is uh, there are two like Sasquatches, or it's like divided into two. There's uh, there's there's one that's more of a ferocious spirit, and one that's more of the uh, the guardian. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Could, mm-hmm. Yeah, you could look at it this way. Um, just like in in our human society, we have we have predators, we have people that commit acts of murder and acts of evil, and then we have really. You know, good Samaritans, people that are just really uh, benevolent, helpful, kind, generous folks. In this world, it's very similar. You have all different types of personalities. So you definitely have a malicious uh, uh, spirit out there. And in fact, um, the name Sasquets is not the dark spirit or the, I'm not going to use the word evil, but I guess that would be the Judeo-Christian reference, evil. Right. Um, yeah, so hungry ghosts, hungry spirits is more accurate for this area. Um, 
But yeah, you don't say the name, you know, the evil name aloud. You don't say the malicious name. Uh, if you do, you know, the old old people say that, you know, it'll call them to you now. Interesting. So yeah, yep. But I, which one do you think that you have seen? Which one have I seen? Yeah. Well, that's a very good question, and uh, I will answer it this way. In 1988 and in the early 90s, there was a very prevalent serial killer uh, in the area, and we know him now as Gary Ridgway. Mm, right. And he was dumping bodies and all over North Bend. This is the town I live in, and... You know, there are body dump sites over by the McDonald's there along Interstate 90. And he was scouting, uh, looking for new victims. He was right there on the trail. He was right there where I saw and where we experienced this this large thing. He was in that area. He was around this area. And so the answer to wow. your question is, the answer to your question is, um, I was told that Saskets uh, has a bond or has an agreement with the world of humans, human beings to warn when there is danger or when innocence is in danger. So, and I've spoken about this on other podcasts before, um, you know, when women or children or people are being hurt, um, this being will show up and will warn us and say, Hey, something is wrong. Pay attention. So I believe it was a benevolent, and it was warning us that something was nearby. And in fact, there were three uh, young ladies that uh, still unsolved. There, there are cases that have not been solved, but there's another uh, killer that has not been uh, caught, but he was, I'm assuming it's a he, could be a she, who knows, uh, is around the area. And so at that time in 1988, there was, there was some activity here besides Gary Ridgeway. So, we are known for serial killers in Washington, as you probably well know. Dude, that is some wild food for thought. Yeah, uh, fascinating right there. Um, and and to grow up in the same place where Gary Ridgway was active is is terrifying. I'm sure in retrospect. Um, mm-hmm. My dad briefly. Um, he I've I've told this a little bit before, but. Um, you know, he is about to retire as a detective for the Anchorage Police Department. And um, he actually was one of many people that helped work the uh, the Israel Keys case. Um, oh, and yeah. yeah, Israel Keys, for anyone that doesn't know, was basically that crazy traveling serial killer who would jump over state lines and and do every single act of his murder, like on a different state border. So he just screwed the uh the investigation process. And that was a thing that kept him going for a while, but then he actually murdered um, a girl in Alaska where he lived and kept the, had the whole, uh, brought the whole thing down. But in retrospect, yeah. Hearing more and more as the true crime comes out, that guy was stalking trails that we were hiking as kids and stuff. And he was like a respected contractor ran his own business out there and just um, kept to himself. Um, But yeah, my dad um, interviewed, uh, the the victim his final victim's boyfriend and family and and other things so but it's Let really ask- crazy yeah to 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 grow, realize that you grew up around something like that and you didn't even know it 
Okay, let me ask you this. Have you ever gone back to those cases, those geographic locations, and and have you ever connected uh, the dots and found, say, significant encounters with uh, Bigfoot-like creatures um, around the area where this uh, killer was active? Have you ever done that? Not particularly, man, but I can tell you that um, the whole area is definitely known for its Sasquatch lore, uh, especially the deeper you get into Alaska. Mm-hmm. So I I would be curious to, uh, um, I, I should probably ask around about that. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, when I started seeing uh, UFOs, whether they were government craft or whatever out there, I definitely mm-hmm. had some classical sightings. And the more I started asking, um, you know, it wasn't like everyone and their dog had seen one, but I definitely found people who had been seeing them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the, the more you ask in general, the more you think so many people have these kinds of interests. Um, like you're most people one way or another, you poke and prod them. They, they have uh, some sort of fan favorite Sasquatch or Loch Ness or Mothman mm-hmm. or something, man. And uh, yeah, uh, there's, you know, I, I'm sure as you, well, no, Bob, it's kind of how you become like a collector of stories is once people start to realize that you are someone that will understand where they're coming from, they're happy to tell you and stories that they might not tell other people. So, um, very but, true. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Do, so do we uh, want to get creepy now? Do we want to yeah. get really creepy and dark? Yes. Yeah. I think that, uh, <laughs> that, re- that serial killer slice was the perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. All right. Okay. So this was just last year and this really, this really frightened me too. Okay. So, and I'm only going to, I can only kind of say part of it because of you'll understand here in a minute, but um, we have a mountain here called Mount Sai and there it's a sacred place. Right. And last year there was a rock slide, but the thing about it was, Everyone in the neighborhood that lived at the base of the mountain could hear this massive rock slide coming down. They could hear the sound and they could feel the vibration. And there were folks that were like being prepared to be crushed in their houses. And what's so interesting is that nothing came down. It was like invisible rocks. It was just the sound and the vibration, but nothing hit the houses, nothing at all. And I remember there was so many people on social media just absolutely freaked out. And what I found out was that um, at that time, there was some really, and I'm just going to say dark stuff going on, Mm -hmm. very dark, black, uh, secret practices. That's all I'm going to say. And there were youth around here that were committing suicide in horrific ways, or they just died. And there were just all these mysterious deaths and suicides all at once surrounding this unrest on the mountain. And I found out through inside sources, and again, I'm just going to give you a little piece of it, that there was a cursed object that was found. And that cursed object was taken to the summit of Snoqualmie Pass, and it was banished. It was banished in a traditional way. But there was some terrible things that happened and we all had to rally together. There was a lot of people in the community here that had to first deal with it and then, you know, kind of pray together and try to like um, figure out how we can chase this energy out. Um, 
And then I got the message. I was like, oh, wow. They found the object. They took it up to the pass. They banished it. But be right before that, and I'm saying a year ago, it was just absolutely tragic. There was a young woman who just stepped in front of a moving train. I mean, just like something like that is just horrible. And you're like, yeah. why would you do that? And I remember the fear that I had at that time. There was this uh, inexplainable, just dark, uh, dreadful fear that I was dealing with last year. And we didn't know where it was coming from. And my wife and I are very sensitive. And so we were hearing about all these deaths. And then the day, the day that they took this object up to the pass and did this banishment, you could literally feel the dark cloud lifting. And I mean, but we're talking about um, five or six, I think about, it was six youth that just died in some of the most horrible, tragic ways. Um, some of it, I can't even go into detail because it's just so, it's just so like, oh my God, disturbing. Why would someone do that to themselves? That kind of thing. So there's Damn. a little creep. There's a little creep vibe from exactly a year ago. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, wow. man. Um, um, and this is how big is the uh, the native territory that you guys live on? You, you live there as well, right? In the territory. Well, yeah this this entire Snoqualmie Valley is is uh, considered native territory. But if you're talking about um, reservation land, mm -hmm. there is there is a res a small reservation at the top of what they call North Bend Way, where they have their casino and. Um, there's land up there. And then there's another Snoqualmie reservation down the Reinig road, which is behind the old part of Snoqualmie. And the thing about that place is, um, folks there refused to leave when they were doing, you know, relocating folks, when they were trying to move people, some of the families there just refused to leave. So that's a point of local pride for sure. Yeah. But mm -hmm. so the, the reason I asked that is just for context. Um, and it seems mm -hmm. like, um, especially in just the Pacific Northwest in general, yeah. they've, they've been a bit, still been a, a rough times uh, for the natives, but it, they've, mm -hmm. they've allowed a little more um, uh, individuality, like they've been able to keep, it, I, I would have expected you to say that um, this at all. I almost expected you to have, because I really don't know the specifics, all like mm -hmm. like a, a fatter mm -hmm. chunk, like a Navajo chunk. Uh, and it sounds like you got you guys have a bit smaller than that, but the land itself and the 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 tradition with the land yeah. has been largely kept intact. Um, um oh, with, yeah. without necess without like strict um reservation lines. Yeah, um, I, that's I, nice. I think that I think that uh, you know everybody loves love this area you know they just love the uh, the beauty of this area and no matter what what uh you know heritage you are it doesn't matter if you're european or from china or from africa like everybody bonds with people that visit here just fall in love with this valley this area and so we're all connected no matter you know what uh racial group we come from mm -hmm. and it's funny that this land is so intoxicating that it becomes part of you, no matter if you are indigenous or not, it just, people just love. And it explains why, you know, David Lynch, Mark Frost came here and said, Hey, this is where we're going to film our, our movie and our TV series. Cause they too were moved by the spirit of the land. And like I said, we're all connected. And when I talk about this curse object, I mean, that, inc that included Christian people and included multiple faiths and it included, uh, multiple uh cultures it wasn't it wasn't just one culture so there was a dark presence and you know it involved a lot of people and 
I mean, I can't really talk about it just because, you know, anymore, because it's like, I don't want any of the families to get upset, understandably so. Right. Because some of these kids, just it was horrible. And we, you know, we were really, really sad. And it was a, a shocking time. Uh, but I just want people to know that, you know, evil is real, you know, and these things are real. And, you know, um, you know, you can protect yourself. You know, there's ways to protect yourself and the power of prayer. And um, but I think the moment that you let your guard down and you say, oh, yeah, that doesn't exist. I think, uh, unfortunately, um, people have to realize that it is real. It is real. And, and those things can affect you. And it's the power of, of what you wake up every morning and think about that protects you. You know, that moment, that golden hour, three in the morning, four in the morning when you wake up. And those are the thoughts that really count. It's like, what, what are you thankful for? What are you grateful for? What do you surround yourself with? What spiritual presence do you surround yourself with? And, you know, that's very important to pay attention to those things. Because um, what we let into our, you know, our minds and our bodies you know, that's, it's very important. So I'll just leave it at that. How's that? Yeah. Amen, man. Amen. Um, now and genuinely rest in peace to, to those children and the families involved there. That sounds like a, like a horrific, uh, situation. I'm glad it was at least resolved as well as it could be. Um, and you know, on that note and, when mm -hmm. I started thinking about the, uh, the territories and reservations, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, very fascinating. Um, the, uh, the things that are kept alive in native tradition still, um, the, they are, they're a bit like countries inside of the U S um, and it reflects in the way that they, they conduct themselves and their, their laws, especially on like the actual reservations where they really do have their own law. Um, it's, you know, and, and, and you see, the, you know, a lot of it is meant to be preserved. They don't want uh, too much to, to flood out into, into hands that wouldn't understand it and so forth. And mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of parallels just in native cultures in general, particularly uh, archetypally, because there's a lot of nuance involved, of course, but, and, um, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of similarities between like um, what you hear about all the mysticism involved in the Navajo territory um, and uh, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we've talked about skinwalkers a bit before as well, haven't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you like to say about that? Because I think that that when you talk about the dark arts and, and, and uh, mysticism, shamanism, I think that that's something that always comes to mind for people. Yeah, well, let's go back to the hungry ghosts. Let's go back to the hungry spirits. So if you think about, you know, you call them shapeshifters, um, skinwalkers, shapeshifters. It's what you consume. You know, we have people walking among us who they indulge themselves in dark thoughts all day long. And you may look at them, you know, they're waiting for a bus or you're just in the city somewhere and you see somebody standing there. And those are the real shapeshifters and the skinwalkers right there. Because you have people that are just consumed with darkness, their minds, you've met them on the street, you've seen, you know, homeless encampments where people come up to you, and you, you can just feel the presence around them, this poor person who's living in filth and poverty, and their mind is just consumed, consumed with darkness. And, you know, we have that everywhere. And if, if we can't acknowledge that, 
you know, we're blind because it's everywhere in our society. I mean, mm-hmm. Seattle, Portland, you look at all the, the people, right? Well, you take that a step further and you, you, you have homeless encampments way out in the woods, right? Way out in these remote areas. And those folks that live in those really remote encampments, they sometimes even go further into darkness. They go just crazy mm-hmm. in, the, in the isolation, especially in the Pacific Northwest. You have the rain and the clouds and the overcast for months and months, you know, and then you have, you know, drug use on top of that. And um, the real the real skinwalkers or the real shapeshifters to me and live in those societies. Like it's a, it's a spiritual thing that sometimes people can't see. They'll walk by a tent, say in the city. And there is a, there's a presence in that, in that encampment, that, you know, homeless encampment mm-hmm. that they cannot see. They cannot see it, but it's there. And they are, they are beasts that are devouring human beings. They're, giant monsters that are absolutely devouring human beings and they're they're basically being devoured right in front of you you can look at them and they have scabs over their bodies so the the real skinwalker is that evil presence that you know we have to pray for those people and those those evil things that are devouring them and they're real they're real you see kids that god you know five years ago they were in just a you know a pretty good spot they were doing good in school and just suddenly they take a turn and they they make a decision that leads them to this other place. And then it starts to accelerate and they start, you know, using prescription pills and experimenting with, with different things and it devours them from the inside. And the next thing you know, you know, they're on the street. So that, that to me is the real hungry spirit. Now, not everybody can see it, but even a scientist, even someone who's an atheist would be able to look at that person and say, wow, Mm -hmm. they really are being devoured. They are being devoured by their own habits. Physically, they're deteriorating. They could not deny the evidence that that human being is being destroyed from within. So if they can see it in that way, you know, you could also say in a spiritual way, you could acknowledge that something else is going on there. So, yeah, damn, very poignant, man very poignant um that uh and there's something you know you're getting me on a a more high-minded concept what you were talking about was extremely grounded and applicable and i think is uh is something that more people should hear and you to to branch out a little further on that same thought like the just the strange abysmal like metaphysics of when suffering people angry suffering people get together and isolate themselves like these encampments being good examples uh you start to get you know if you want to use openings or portals like weird mojo for sure and um our my last guest mr ap strange was talking about um he grew up in uh, the massachusetts area um and it was definitely new england and maybe it was maine i don't know you'll have to go back and look listeners but um uh, he grew up in New England, and that was known for its um, phantom clown sightings. Are you familiar with those, Bob? I yes, I've actually I've seen a little bit on that, but yeah, enlighten me. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Do, um, do you want to? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is uh, quite a rabbit hole, and it seems to have been around. It was like a it was a microcosm of a situation that happened for a certain number of years, and nowadays, if you see these clowns, it seems very like 
computer viral, you know, people Mm -hmm. are trying to be sensational, but in like the eighties, especially there was this uh, cropping up of um, truly anomalous, bizarre sightings. And uh, Lauren Coleman is uh, one that has uh, uh, is a 14 investigator that's gone to great lengths throughout the years to document sightings. And he, um, he has um, data on that, but, um, and, and they would just be, they were really creepy trying to like abduct kids and things. And um, because of all the circumstances laid out in the sightings, they just would like completely disappear. There's no, um, it was truly bizarre. And it, he gave me a story of once um, just to show there's no way to tell what is connected here and what's not, but especially if you think symbolically, I mean, it's certainly connected and it's just a matter of how um, he told me this story of how he knew people that um, on the other side of a, a road there uh, to a school, there was some wilderness and that there was a clown, a homeless clown that liked to live in that wilderness and, um, and creep kids out. And he was always seen eating cat food. Um, and he just, he lived out there by himself and a couple daring kids that AP strange knew actually went out to go investigate and they found the cans of cat food. And, um, they found out, they, they saw some places where he, um, he was observing and like hanging out, but they couldn't find like a, a legitimate encampment and they couldn't, they certainly couldn't find him. So it made them wonder if it was, this was like a, an evil clown spirit of the woods you know what i mean um yeah or 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 if it's not that's clearly some man or woman that's become you know is being devoured by something essentially um so it it, i don't know man i don't know what all the parallels are it's open-ended food for thought for any listeners as well but Mm -hmm. it certainly seems that there is you know, I, I, I think it's without denying that the more you isolate yourself in your own anger and suffering, the more you start to let other things in. And then those other things take on a life of their own eventually and might manifest themselves in slightly different ways. Yeah. And if you look at like the Wendigo, you know, Wendigosis mm. or whatever you call that, um, it's an extreme form. So like you're, you're mentioning isolation, but let's say you were isolated to the point where you ran out of a food source Mm -hmm. and then you had to eat other human beings in order to survive. And you, you know, it results in cannibalism. And so the root of the the story or the teaching of the Wendigo, you know, it it is, it's exactly that it's extreme isolation to the point of madness where, you know, things are so off kilter and out of balance that you are devouring others, but you're also being devoured at the same time. And so, yeah, that's, that's a really, that was really cool that you, uh, that kind of led me into that thought there. So, yeah. Fascinating. Um, what do you have, uh, is there any local lore of the Wendigo around there? Well, we have a, there's a basket ogress woman, cannibal woman that said to live in the mountain. This is the mm-hmm. same mountain that I was referring to with the rock slides, um, in the ancient stories, it's very much like the Polish and German fairy tales with, uh, you know, the, the witch woman who, you know, likes to eat children and that kind of thing. So there is a teaching of a cannibal woman an ogress, and she has a big troll like nose. It was interesting because we had some visitors from Denmark and we took them over to the spot where, you know, I had that encounter in 1988. And then I told the story, of, you know, I mentioned the local ogress woman and her big nose. And, you know, these folks are from a part of Scandinavia. They're 
you know, Danish people. And they were like, oh, wow. You know, they could relate to the troll legends and the big nose. And to them, to them, they thought it was a, you know, a relative of, of the same mythology or storytelling from their part of the world, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And one of the gentlemen said, yeah, in our country, you know, some of the trolls are attracted by bloodshed. You know, we have, we have trolls that are, they salivate when violence occurs, when blood is being spilled, they come and they, uh, they drool, they want the blood they want. So when he heard some of the stories that I was sharing, he's, he, you know, for him, it reminded him of his grandparents and the stories that they shared with him about these trolls that are, are, you know, magnets to violence. They just love, they thirst for blood, you know? Very fascinating. What, what other kinds of things? So before I forget now, because that made me think again, um, is there an iteration? You put it very poignantly with the skinwalker. Um, and I couldn't agree more, but is there an iteration? Like, let me phrase it like this. How much would you like to go into detail about some of um, the dark arts? Cause I know that there is, is plenty that, uh, mm-hmm. You don't want to verbalize, but in an educational way to mm-hmm. to help people um, understand a little bit of the realities of what to sure. um, yeah sure. defend against. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there are people that find power. So again, we'll go back to human beings who are hungry for power. Um, you're hungry for something, a hungry spirit, a hungry person, a hungry ghost. You know, we hunger for food. We hunger for power. We hunger for spiritual power. Uh, some people take it to a really dark place. Now, one of the methods uh, that is used very commonly throughout, I would say, dark arts all throughout the world is harnessing the power of Uh, sadness and misery and loss. So if you imagine this really big, dark uh, cloud, this legion of spirits of folks that have either, you know, say drank themselves to death or died in a tragic way or were killed or murdered. And all of those spirits have accumulated in this giant, dark swarm of insects. That is a powerful force to be reckoned with. And there are people out there who try to harness that whirlwind, that legion of insects and use it as a power source to do whatever they want with it, whatever their will is. You know, you find in the dark arts of, like I said, multiple cultures across the globe, the harnessing of misery or the harnessing of uh, negative emotion. And, you know, the more negative emotion that you can accumulate It's almost like filling up a balloon with, you know, this thick, you know, gas, this expansive gas, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, almost like a, uh, you know, a balloon that'll take you up in the sky. You can fly around like a helium balloon with all of this misery inside of it and do what you will. So the problem is, is some of the cultures have safeguards, uh, you know, to be able to harness this um, safely. And then other people dabble and they don't know what they're doing. And I wouldn't suggest dabbling at all, but some people they try and boy, they find out the hard way that it's not really a good idea uh, because things get out of control. And there are some cases where you've heard of 
when spirits uh, are like a tornado where there's no control. It's just a wild spirit. And a whole house is, you know, consumed by the spirit. And everybody just has to run out because everything is just twirling around like a freaking tornado inside the house, spiritually speaking. And so, yeah, that's uh, some of the dark arts. Um, you'll find that in areas, especially where people have been oppressed. Like I've heard that down in Louisiana and down in, you know, the South, there are <clears throat> people that were descendants of, you know, African slaves and different tribes from Africa and indigenous mixed. And as a result of being oppressed and being, um, you know, hurt and punished or tortured, you know, they took the gifts that they were given, their spiritual gifts, and they harnessed those gifts to protect their families to fight back because they didn't really have anything um, else to fight with, you know, some of these groups. Mm -hmm. The only thing they had were the special spiritual gifts that they could harness to fight back the oppressors, you know, and some of those special spiritual gifts uh, then expanded and became, you know, even darker, you know, so a lot of the root of this black magic stuff um, is defending uh, people that are defending uh, their lives, you know, and then it just gets carried away. It gets uh, taken too far. Uh, do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I mean? 100%. Yeah. And um, that that's a, a great description. And it, it's, the, the reason that I can't totally, um, as a premise, throw out the idea, at least like psychologically, archetypally, of a serial killer having some sort of outside demonic influence. Um, because, you know, you hear about, you know, first off, there's going to be some of those people that um, are looking into it specifically for legal defense or whatever, however um, useful that may or may not be. And then you have some people who are very clearly insane. Um, in the ways where they don't even know the difference between what's in their head and what's outside. And then you have some people that could they still be lying? Yeah, of course. But I mean, when you look throughout their story, you look at their trajectory, you look about what they have to gain afterward by telling any of these stories. There's a, there's a lot of factors and, and you got to take it on a case by case basis. But absolutely, there seems to be this point where even though he was a liar, I think contextually, I think Bundy is a good example. And that's one that you know a bit about, Bob. So maybe we'll, we'll go into that a little bit. But um, Bundy, um, he talked about how he had this otherness presence and how he seemed to commune with it in a way where like it started out small at first. And then he just he piled up that anger and misery and concentrated it more and more. And he would get really, really drunk before he'd go out and and uh, do most of his uh, his murdering. And um, and he talked about how that drunkenness like released his inhibition and allowed him to get in touch with this otherness, more this animalistic side. And mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, however, whichever way you want to go in. Uh, as a as a listener or anybody in describing that i think the idea that you are feeding something or that something is feeding off of you um is undeniable like something's going on there and it's not physical in the way that we know things are so i mean the basic definition of that is spiritual at that point right like where do we go from there um so yeah i mean i think you know saying that a serial killer is possessed that's very sensational but if you want to get into like the esoteric implications of it, I've always found that conversation to be a real head scratcher. And it's not something that you can completely discount, honestly. 
And I don't mean possession from like a strictly Catholic way, but just like the oppression, the demonic presence of anything in general. Mm-hmm. But um, um, yeah, would you like to go into Bundy a little bit? Haven't you been to his childhood house, Bob? Yeah, actually, yes, we have. We've gone to the neighborhood and we walked around and explored the neighborhood there. Um, So the interesting fact about Bundy's childhood home, and you can look this up, uh, a few articles have been written. uh, Contractors that worked in that home, it's located in Tacoma, experienced paranormal phenomenon. There were messages being written in the dust in the basement with no footprints leading up to or from Whoa. Uh, help like the, the message help me, help me something like that. And then, you know, things are being knocked over like cabinets and just crazy, you know, physical uh, phenomenon happening in that home. And people could feel multiple workers could feel the presence and experience very strange uh, phenomenon there. Um, and so there is a theory and I've heard it in the documentary uh, I think it was the Bundy tapes or something where he referenced a, a demon or some kind of entity that he was communicating to or was controlling him or had some kind of influence over his murderous spree. Mm-hmm. And so there's there are theories that, yes, he was he was tapped into something supernatural. And that kind of came out later. I mean, that came out just a few years ago. Not a lot of people knew about that, I guess, until these Bundy tapes were uh played and and featured in that one documentary. And I I found that very fascinating. The theory here is that wherever Bundy went, some of that demonic presence uh, residue kind of stuck around. And so, again, we not only have the Green River Killer in this town, but prior to that, we had Ted Bundy nearby, very close by. Uh, Issaquah and Lake Sammamish State Park is only you know, a 15, 20 minute drive and High Point Way and Taylor Mountain again is within a 15 minute drive of our house here. Wow. And, and Taylor, Taylor Mountain is, is the, uh, the location of, of Bundy's, one of his burial sites. I think there were four victims discovered there. Um, and then High Point Way, there were two victims found there. And I was born January 15th of 1974. Now, what's interesting is that Bundy's first, very first uh, recorded um, act of violence, I guess you'd say, was right there in January. He got started right there within two weeks of my birthday. Wow. So when I was born and he came into this world, you know, he was starting his evil campaign. I mean, he he was uh, literally uh, going into uh, University of Washington sorority houses and he would, uh, you know, he tortured a, a woman and then you know, there was a girl that was stolen right out from uh, right out in front of her sorority house. She was stolen. She was taken. And so Seattle was just just like, oh, my God, nobody knew what was going on. Women were disappearing. And by summer of 1974, so I would have been six months old. I was just a six month old child um, right here in North Bend. Um, you know, the the police were just on high alert. I mean, it was tense, even at like the festival. I was told by law enforcement that, you know, they knew that these girls were disappearing. And so there were folks, you know, uh, standing by watching, looking for some suspicious character, because in broad daylight in the summer of 74, there were two young women who were stolen the same day. So they were hanging out with their friends. They turned their back. Well, hey, where did she go? 
and then a second girl. So if you can imagine in broad daylight in the middle of the summer, you're there at the beach and your friend disappears. And then, you know, a short time later, another girl vanishes. Holy shit, how frightening that is. Yeah. And then their then their bodies were found, you know, a short distance away within five miles at a cabin at High Point Way. So, yeah, the summer festivals in North Bend, I mean, law enforcement, they were ready for action. They were they were watching everyone. They were anyone who was suspicious. They were watching everyone because they didn't know when the next girl was going to disappear. You know, and then you had a girl over at uh, I believe it was Ellensburg. Uh, yeah, Central. I think it was Central College. There was a girl that disappeared the same year. I believe it was 74. I, I hope I have that correct. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, so that's the year I came into this world. So, you know, there is a connection there spiritually. Um, so I've been Very aware of curious. that. Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know what? Another synchronicity for you, man. Um, I live 10 minutes away from the street corner where Bundy was. Um, arrested in Pensacola. Um, what? Yeah, no kidding. It's a What? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a restaurant now called The Taste of Jerusalem and it's yeah, you could you could go stand exactly where he was uh he was put in cuffs. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Oh my god, that's so crazy. What a, <laughs> what a crazy thing, dude. Oh yeah, my god. For real. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um but yeah, interesting, very interesting stuff. And for anyone that wants any more um, food for thought on the the Bundy rabbit hole there. Uh, there's there's a I don't know if you'd call her like a forensic psychologist. I think that's what it is, but she's very accredited. She's like a doctor, uh, Kath, Catherine Ramsland. Um, mm-hmm. She does some work on psychology today and other stuff. And there's this psychology today article. I think it's two parts. It's called Bundy's Demon. And she goes into a little bit um, some of his, uh, some of his uh, quotes talking about that and some of the analysis of it. And she does it in a very like scholastic, but open-minded way. And it's, it's really, really darkly fascinating. Um, so yeah, man. Um, wow. Yeah. The serial killer rabbit hole. I think we got pretty creepy, man. Like you, uh, you really got my jaw dropping a, a few times there. And we're not over yet. Uh, we're getting closer to the end there. But is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to share with the listeners, man? Um, let me think. So uh, regarding, let, uh, let me uh, know if, if I was right. Was that revealed as of late that the demon, he was communicating with the demon? Was that kind of a later revelation or was that known all along? No, that well, he had talked about it a little bit. But um, so in terms of, if you knew the inner inner workings of Bundy's case, like the real um, true crime aficionados, um, then you might have heard about it. And the people, okay. yeah, that were affiliated with it knew about it, but mm-hmm. it was not a public thing really um, at all. Or, or if it was, it was hardly. Um, and Kathleen Ramsland actually wrote that article before the documentary, but not, not long before. And that is pretty that's essentially aside from going into actual subject matter that shows Bundy's own quotes that's the only thing i can really find on the subject aside from the documentary so it is it's just it's a thing that's recently found uh more of a resurgence and i mean duly so it's quite a interesting rabbit hole i just thought of something very interesting i'd like to talk to you about now sure. one thing that keeps coming up a lot 
is we live in a time where someone can point to an object, say something that's clearly white, and they can say, oh, that's black. Or they can look at the sky and they can say, oh, yeah, the sky is purple. And we have this strange uh, phenomenon in the media and just everywhere I look on God, news sources where it seems like one thing can be labeled another and people go along with it. And it's mind boggling because you and I or someone who's critical can look at that subject or look at that statement and say, that is clearly not true. How is that person convincing those masses that that truth, whatever they're portraying, is something to follow, believe in, and you're just left scratching your head? Is this witchcraft is my mm -hmm. question. How do they pull it off? And do you, under, do you know what I'm talking about? Most definitely. Yeah. What is that, dude? Like, because it's everywhere. I'm seeing it everywhere. And then if you question it, if you question it, you're called, you know, certain names, you know, mm -hmm. there's no, you can't be, you can't be critical of certain things or you're called certain names, you know, and then there's conspiracy theorists that comes up and that kind of thing. But, and it's so funny because you can have a group of people that see this subject and they can clearly know that that is not true. That object is, is white. It's not black or that, you know, whatever. But how do they get away with it? And what is that? Is that a spirit? Is that a, is, you know, what is your opinion on that phenomenon? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough call, but I definitely have some things I could say about it. And I was, it's, I think about this fairly often, but it hit me even yesterday, just specifically, like for some reason, it just had a little more of an emotional resonance where I thought to myself, like, we live in a world where we're trying to convince friends and family like that basic things that are preposterous just aren't true. Like people have no physical evidence for certain things in front of them. Um, and they're sold hook, line and sinker. And you know what? Mm -hmm. It's healthy to have beliefs, but you need to understand that some of your beliefs are beliefs. They're not facts. And there's a little bit of a separation where they coalesce. There's a point where they coalesce, but anyway, so you need to know the difference. And just like, man, nowadays, People are truly, their reality is so bent. We're, li we're all living in so many different perceived realities. It's unlike anything. It's uh, truly unprecedented. And uh, I think, man, it, 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 it is something spiritual. And I think it has something to do with the hive mind mentality, you know, and, and, and that can be good and bad. You look at group miracles, you know, like Fatima is such a mind boggling example um, of something that seems very positive. And it seems like part of what made it what it was, was the group of people, the sheer number of people. And, and I think it, it's a, it's a two way street. I think the more negative, you know, hysteria being a prime example. Um, mm -hmm. There was a, there's a good example of this, actually, there's something called the monkey man of new Delhi. Um, this was in like the early two thousands. Um, this is like, it's, it's like cryptozoology adjacent, but there wasn't really any mythology to back it up. And there was, there wasn't even footprints or anything. There was absolutely zero evidence. So we can essentially mm -hmm. safely chalk this up to probably nothing more than hysteria. Uh, but even that in and of itself shows something spiritual. And this monkey man, it was basically like a very 
slightly more humanoidish monkey that was terrorizing people around there. Um, and it had people in a frenzy, like a couple people might've seen it. And then all of a sudden the whole town was barring up windows and, and, you know, there was people uh, trampling other people trying to get away from potential mm. monkey man areas. And, and like, at that point, that in and of itself, screw the monkey man, like whatever fear presence is going on, there is something alone. And, you know, it's, you got to kind of look peek behind the veil a little bit. And so, you know, the, the classical esoteric way they put it was, um, I know you've heard this word before the egregor. Um, and it's the idea that um, to see in Eastern uh, spirituality, the tulpa is a thought form that you create that um, then has a life of its own, but the egregor, which I believe is a, specifically Western term is that same thing that happens with a group. And then you give that group energy enough momentum. It sort of just splits and becomes its own thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what the full implications of that are, but I'm fully convinced there's enough evidence to show that it go that happens and that it goes in both ways. And I think that that's, you know, if you want to talk about like, I don't know, a spiritual angle and propaganda. Like, I think that's it. I think once you win people over enough, there becomes that, I can't remember what you call this either, but it's a psychological term and it's the inertia. Like once someone is so set in their ways about a belief, they feel like they can't give it up. It's not just um, um, co cognitive dissonance. It's like the thing that allows you to never get to the point of cognitive dissonance. Um, which is even creepier to think about like people build up adaptationally if they let themselves get too lost or too consumed by something they just seem to get to a point where they have i don't know man like convinced themselves that any other perspective is going to be evil and a lie and like if they entertain another perspective they're automatically being duped and so they feel safer never entertaining anything it's I, it's insane it's like trying to get into the mind of a schizophrenic at that rate i feel like <laughs> it's like we filter we filter information to keep ourselves safe and so you know a lot of people want to say they want to put something in a safe zone or a box so that they can feel that they can have a grasp on it or control it so some things are just beyond the border and so we're like wait uh, wait no i'll just ignore that yeah. Even though that's extending me on the border. Nope, nope, it's in the box. No, 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 no. And that's that's kind of how I see it. And so in the media, in the news, and whatever whatever tribe, tribe, tribalism, mm -hmm. that's definitely that's definitely the case today. We have political tribalism. Mm -hmm. And whatever tribe you belong to, you know, you want it to neatly fit into your narrative. And so you feel safe. And it's become so polarized to the point where. Um, and this is what I'd like to leave with is, is on that note. Um, I was talking to my sister the other day and I was just saying, you know, it's really important for us to not take such extreme, uh, you know, political points of view and, and make derogatory, uh, you know, comments to the other side, because mm -hmm. we're just, we're just feeding into that frenzy. We're just feeding into it. So it's important to give an example of critical thinking, but also balanced thinking, um, and so I, I avoid trying to buy into, you know, the, the tribalism of either the right or the left. I try to stay in the center and back to the spirituality. I was looking at the tree of life and I was looking at um, this example of the middle path, you know, the tree of life that starts at the root 
and goes through the trunk and then it ascends to the highest part of the tree into the highest consciousness. And so politically, you know, we could all, we could all kind of do that too, you know, taking the center path and seeing both sides of each extreme and trying to understand, but not make a derogatory absolute statement about the other side, you know, yeah. those dirty, dem- those dirty Democrats, you know, we don't want to say <laughs> stuff like that. You Nazis, you, you know, whatever you Nazi Republicans, you know, trying to avoid those kind of things. And, you know, we're, we're not doing that right now. People are, they're just loose cannons, you know, and, and definitely not in the sense of the indigenous way of speaking. Like I, I, we were watching a documentary today real quick, a gentleman named Rex Buck. And he, you could tell he was thinking about every single word that came out of his mouth that he wanted to represent, you know, his heritage, his history, absolutely in a, in an honorable way. And then I think about the opposite side, the way that non-native people sometimes speak and it's just a loose cannon and they just let their anger and their judgments just fly without knowing all the information. So it's very important that, you know, we, we, uh, we don't just lump everybody into one category and that we just kind of try to see the center and to teach that to younger generations. Cause I mean, if we don't, we're just going to get more and more polarized and it's just going to get more and more violent. I mean, that's just the way it, that's the way it's going to go, my friend. So Amen, man. And I, I, I think I like to end um, these episodes on something, some sort of practical takeaways. And I think that that was, that was a great one right there, you know, especially in the Halloween season where we're reminded of how horrific life can be um, in a, in a safe sort of uh, ceremonial sense. I think it's, uh, you know, it's an important takeaway to remember like that we're all struggling with our own things. We're all human, regardless of our beliefs and, um, even the worst of us are human. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, uh, you, you know, that there aren't consequences to the things you do, but, uh, yeah. Um, more now, more than ever, it seems that we're all having to understand that even like some of the most, the, you know, the most heinous people have, they didn't start out that way. There's irrefutably, it's not just nature, there's nurture involved and, you know, the only way we're going to be able to have like a, a better culture without these kinds of things happening or mitigated is to understand them. And I think that at best, that's what conversations like, that's why you and I have conversations like this, Bob. And that's why it is important to understand, you know, maybe a little bit of the dark side of yourself. That's why Halloween can be useful and, and these types mm-hmm. of mentalities, but it's all with the yeah. light in mind. You got to go, you got to bring the light into the darkness. Um, but uh, thanks so much, Bob, dude, it's been a real pleasure and I will definitely be having you on again soon. Um, I think people are really going to dig this chat. I, like I said, it, you got my jaw dropping a couple of times, at least there. So that was some wild food for thought. Oh man, my, my pleasure. I really had a good time. It's, it's always a good time talking to you about, about these subjects and more. I think next time we should, um, Let's let's pick a theme that's um, very unexpected for the next one that no one will see coming. Sounds good, buddy. And um, all right, man. <laughs> um, for any listeners out there, uh, I recently was on Secret Teachings uh, with Ryan Gable. Uh, we were talking a bit more about Halloween, expounding upon that and some of the history behind it and the psychology of it and so forth. So you could check that out. Um, go, uh, check out Bob on Facebook. Um, and what was your website, Bob? Would you like to pitch that again? Yeah, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We're also on, 
Patreon. It's just a little research channel. It's called Hidden Northwest Tours. Hidden Northwest oh. Tours. Yeah, and you can find it on Facebook as well. But uh, yeah, man. Right on. All right. Well, thanks again, Bob. You uh, you have a great rest of your day. Happy Halloween season to you and everyone out there. And um, y'all take care. Thanks so much. You guys yes, have sir. a great one. See ya. And this is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler. Take it easy, everybody. You promise more of everything like shirts of glass and silver. Take me while you can, my love. Tomorrow brings another. My heart is beating, slowing down, waiting on the edge of town. People watching every move. Tomorrow brings another. Stay away from my trouble. Stay away. Wild.